Welcome to In Another's View, a podcast series to engage the community to stand for neurodiversity through the lens of youth. I'm Joshua Cow, your host. Today, I'm very honored to introduce our first guest, Sienna Castellum. Neurodivergent herself, she has become a neurodiversity advocate, best-selling author, and young leader for the SDGs endorsed by the United Nations. Sienna is a rising freshman at Stanford University. Hi, Sienna. Welcome to the episode. An honor to have you. How are you doing today? I'm really happy to be here. Uh, Studying on a light note, what is your favorite hobby or activity to do in your free time? Yeah, I'm kind of nerdy. And so in my free time, I love to do math and physics because that's my special interest for my autism. But I also have a card collection and I love doing solitaire. Wow, that's that's very cool. And that sounds very fun. Next, let's jump into the interesting world of neurodiversity. For many people, neurodiversity is a foreign term. But from your perspective, what does neurodiversity mean to you? And in what ways are you neurodivergent? Yeah, so neurodiversity is the notion that everybody thinks differently and that we have different ways of processing and interpreting the world. And so everybody is neurodiverse. But then neurodivergent individuals are people who think extra differently. Um, And so that may be because they have ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism, um, or other conditions like anxiety or depression. Um, constitute neurodivergence. And so for me, I'm neurodivergent because of my autism, my dyslexia, my dyspraxia, and my ADHD. Thank you. Thank you so much for stepping up and sharing this information. And many people in this society don't know what these neurodivergent conditions entail. That actually comes with the next question. Sienna, What daily challenges do you go through that neurotypicals may not understand? I mean, I think that the biggest one is, and I think a lot of neurotypicals don't understand this, and that's the challenges of living in a world that isn't designed for you, um, where there are no accommodations for you. It's the kind of thing where um, neurodiverse people can go on the train and they can go on public transport and they can leave their house and they don't have to worry about sensory overwhelm because all of those you know, places and services were designed with neurotypical individuals in mind. Um, even though I'm a neurodiversity advocate, I have actually never been in a building that was designed for an autistic individual. Um, never been in a building designed for somebody with ADHD. And that's something that as a neurotypical individual, you experience every day. Um, buildings and services um, that are designed for the way that they process information. And it's things like um, very simple things like going to the doctor and filling out a form. As someone who's dyslexic, I really struggle when the font is small. As someone who has ADHD, I struggle to pay attention when there's lots of text and lots of unnecessary language. As someone who's autistic, I struggle to even be in that area around other people, around loud noises, Um, And that's something that neurotypicals, they just, whatever it may be, they just walk in and um, 
do what they need to do without having those challenges in place. Yeah. These challenges are real. These are what neurodivergent friends and family have to go through on a daily basis. So Sienna, have you ever felt misunderstood or misrepresented because of social stigmas, whether in school or in a professional setting? And in what ways could schools be more inclusive, accepting and accommodating of you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like in the school environment, I had a, a very, very challenging time because it just wasn't um, designed for me and teachers didn't have training on neurodiversity, neurodivergence, which is shocking to me because 20% um, of the population um, is neurodivergent. And so a teacher can't support 20% of their class, which um, I still struggle to wrap my head around. I would think that um, you know, neurodivergence would be a big part of the teaching curriculum, but it's not. And so it meant that when I was at school, um, I was misunderstood for all of my differences. Um, with my dyslexia, I have mild dyslexia or stealth dyslexia, um, which means I can read relatively fine, but it's just my spelling that's the problem. And teachers would tell me, tell my parents that I couldn't be dyslexic because I could read. And that the reason I had bad spelling was because I was lazy and I wasn't motivated to put in the effort to spell things correctly. And that was kind of the first misunderstanding that, you know, a teacher had about me. And it was a very damaging one because actually at that point in time, I was somebody in the education system with dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism and ADHD, and none of that had been diagnosed. I wasn't getting support for any of that. I was treated like I was completely neurotypical by um, everyone around me, parents, um, teachers, because I just hadn't, that had, it hadn't been flagged that I was, I was different. And so I was putting in a lot of effort at school and I was putting in a lot of effort just to be there. And then I had teachers telling me, um, that I was lazy. And with the dyspraxia, um, dyspraxia or DCD, it's a motor coordination disorder. And so for me, it makes me very clumsy. I was someone at school who was very tall for my age. And so I was always one of the tallest people in the year group. And teachers, sport teachers, thought that that would translate into me being good at sport which of course it didn't because I had dyspraxia. Um, and when I would fail to catch a ball or when I would trip or when I would, um, when my dyspraxia would affect um, the way I was playing that sport, um, they would blame it on me and they would say that I was doing that to be funny and that it was, um, and I was also seeking attention. So there was one in the UK, we have something called netball it's kind of like basketball except you can't move with the ball and it's non-contact and um I lost a netball game for the whole team because I can't remember what it was oh yeah I, I had to catch one of the balls and it just I completely missed it um and it ended up going onto the other side's net and um and so 
I was told that I did that on purpose and that I wanted our team to lose the match so that I would get attention. And the teacher said that to me and it meant that I was bullied uh, because other students heard that and other students believed that. And it was the kind of thing where teachers would think that they could say hurtful things in order to, um, I guess, kind of scare me out of behavior that they didn't like and they didn't appreciate. But that's not how neurodivergence works. You can't um, bully someone out of being dyslexic because it makes your job easier. You know, that was a trait that was never going to change about me. I had bad spelling when I was whatever it was, seven or eight, and I have bad spelling 10 years later. Um, and I wish that teachers had been more accepting. Um, teachers hadn't rushed to conclusions and had actually taken the time to listen to me and taken the time to understand what I was going through. Um, because if, yeah, if my English teacher had sat down with me, she would have found out that I wasn't lazy, um, that I was actually working really hard, um, but she didn't. And that had a big effect on my education. Thanks, Sienna, for sharing such personal information about yourself. And what you stated that that it really is a big challenge in this world and in many places. And even as we speak right now, we need to really get people to understand and start making a change. Talking about change, let's talk about change neurotypical and just people in general can bring today. What change can neurotypicals bring today? And for the people listening, what is something they can do now to make the world a better place for neurodivergent people? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the biggest thing you can do is be understanding. For my teachers, um, I had a lot of teachers who would say things like, I'm not a Senko. In the UK, a Senko is a special educational needs coordinator. So someone whose job is to help neurodivergent individuals. And teachers would say, I'm not a Senko. I don't have experience in this area. I can't support you. I can't help you in my class. You need to go elsewhere to get that help, which you can't do most of the time. You know, you, you can't, you know, go to another teacher to help you with how you're being discriminated against in your history class. You need that teacher to, to, to support you. And that was something that I saw a lot of neurotypical individuals saying, I don't really know about this area. And so I can't help you. I can't support you. I can't do anything with you. Um, and that was partly why I started doing the advocacy I did. Um, but there came a point where I actually had this one teacher who didn't know anything about um, being neurodivergent, but they were just really kind and really caring. And when I asked for support, they gave it to me. Um, it was things like I would go to them and say, look, can you seat me away from the door? Because the door slams and it's loud and it stresses me out. And they would say, okay, fine. They didn't have this long background in autism. They just thought, okay, well, this is a student who's asking me for help so that they can better participate and better learn in my class. And they were so willing to give me adjustments, to check in with me, to see how I was doing, even though they didn't understand my experience and they didn't understand um, what it's like to be neurodivergent. And that was something that was really eye-opening to me. And I think that a lot of people need to recognize 
um, that you just need to be kind. And that's something that can really have an impact on everyone, but especially neurodivergent people, because we get, we have a lot of challenges. We have, we have faced a lot of stigma. We face a lot of people discriminating against us and judging us. And when, and it, you can make our lives a lot better just by being kind to us and being accepting and being supportive, even if you don't know what we're going through. Being kind and supportive can really go a long way. And speaking about changes, you certainly are a role model in bringing about changes. So let's talk about how you did it. Could you take us back to when you were 13 years old? What motivated you to create your great website, qlmentoring.com, which is benefiting neurodivergent and neurotypicals all around the globe? Yeah, so primarily with QL mentoring, I was 13. I'd been diagnosed with dyslexia, dyspraxia, and autism. At that point, I didn't have my ADHD diagnosis until later. And I was trying to find resources online um, to help me learn more about my neurodivergence. Because when you get diagnosed, they just tell you, you're dyslexic. And then you leave and you just have this new information, but you don't get support and you don't get an understanding of what being dyslexic means to you and how it affects you. And that's something that with neurodivergent individuals, um, we're all different and our neurodivergence affects us in different ways, especially with autism. People can present very differently. And so it's important to go down that path of of figuring out how your brain works and figuring out the support you need and your unique challenges, but also your unique strengths. And I was going through that phase um, because I was newly diagnosed with autism and I got my dyslexia and my dyspraxia diagnosis when I was very young. Um, I was, I think I was 10. And so I hadn't really researched it and really thought about how it affected me, but I started doing that. And I was going online to different websites and I couldn't find anything designed for me, um, designed for helping school-aged kids understand their neurodivergence and also helping school-aged kids um, just survive the school environment and go through the school day when it's not uh, designed for them, when they're not getting accommodations and when they're not getting support. And I was going on these websites and I was finding advice for Senkos. I was finding advice for parents, but nothing for us. And it was something that I felt we really needed. And so I created QL Mentoring, which is a website to support and mentor um, children who are neurodiverse. Yeah, thank you for creating such an awesome website, unique website also. And it really has a lot of creative design to it and it's really helping lots of people and let's also talk about another change you brought about uh, you are the founder of the neurodiversity celebration week what motivated you to start that program and what is that week all about yeah so neurodiversity celebration week is a week is a week run in schools and it's trying to flip the narrative and focus on the positives of neurodiversity instead of the negatives. Um, it's a week that has three 
um, main aims. So the first aim is to educate teachers on neurodiversity. The second is to educate students, so neurotypical students on neurodiversity, um, so that they can be more accepting their classmates, um, to their neurodivergent classmates. And then the third aim is to empower neurodivergent individuals. And the week, it's called Neurodiversity Celebration Week because it's celebrating how everybody thinks differently, um, whether that be neurotypicals or individuals who are neurodivergent. We focus on autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, and there are resources on my website about that. Um, and it's a week where, you know, each school does it differently. They pick and choose how they, the resources on my website, and they decide how they're going to run the week. And so there are some schools that, um, secondary schools in particular, that don't have a lot of time in their timetable. And so they'll run an assembly and they'll put a few posters up around the school. But then there are primary schools where they'll dedicate a whole week and um, every day they'll do a different activity and they'll have a different lesson on um, neurodiversity. There was one school where they reached out to all of the parents and asked the parents, um, you know, if there's anybody who's neurodivergent, um, would you like to come and give a talk? And there was a stock trader who has ADHD and he talked about how his ADHD um, helped him do his job and how he wouldn't be able to do it without his ADHD. Um, there was also a businessman who would create companies and then sell them. And he said that um, with his ADHD, he liked the excitement of creating a new company, but then he found um, keeping that company afloat was just boring and repetitive. And so with his ADHD, he created this model where he would just create and sell. And that was something that I just found exciting how different schools were using it in different ways and how everyone was getting something out of the week and learning more about themselves or their classmates. Yeah, that was such a great idea. And it has such a creative and encouraging design to it too. Yeah, we ought to start spreading this initiative to as many schools as possible. Next, I want to transition to your best-selling book. Uh, the Spectrum Girls Survival Guide, How to Grow Up Awesome and Autistic. What inspired you to write that book? And what were some challenges you faced while writing it? Yeah, so I, um, I wrote that book when I was 16. And so I'd known that I was um, autistic for about four years. And I'd really started seeing my childhood and different school experiences I'd had in the lens of my autism and I started realizing you know that intersectionality between being a woman and being autistic and how challenging that is. I was finding people who were only diagnosed because their children were diagnosed and so they were finding out that they were autistic in their 40s or 50s um, at a point where they had gone through most of their life having significant mental health problems, wondering why they were different um, and having challenges that they weren't receiving support for. And even individuals who are diagnosed, like myself, there were a lack of resources. I went online to try to find books written for autistic girls. And 
I didn't find many, and the few that did exist were written by neurotypical older men and said things like, um, you have to not let your sensory processing disorder bother you. Um, just things that, that showed that they didn't understand our experience and um, that colored the advice they were giving. And so I decided that I had to write my book and that came with many challenges because I was still at school at the time and I was also running neurodiversity celebration week and QR mentoring and all of my social media because I do everything myself and so um, you know if you ever email sienna at qlmentoring.com the person who responds is me I don't have a personal assistant or a secretary who helps me with the work I do and at times it can get very overwhelming and very time consuming um, to do the work that I do. And I felt like adding writing a book to that would be too much, especially since I was at a stage in school where I really had to be committed to my education. Um, I was later on in my school journey, I was 16, and I had big exams that I had to prepare for. But I decided to do it anyway, because I felt like it was a resource that was very important to put out there. And that by doing it, I could not only give support to autistic women who know they're diagnosed, but I could also educate people about what autism in girls looks like so that more people could receive a diagnosis earlier so that they don't end up being kind of in their 40s, 50s, figuring out, you know, why they were different. Thanks, Sienna, for writing such an amazing and powerful book. And because of this book, it has inspired many people. And Sina, after listening to you, what people consider challenges, you have turned into strengths and amazing experiences and opportunities. There are millions of people out there. How can they turn their negative experiences into something so powerful? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just letting your negative experiences drive you. Um, I had teachers who would tell me that I could never go to university. I had um, a whole group of teachers tell me that I didn't belong in mainstream education and that I needed to go to um, a special school because I had too many challenges for them. And throughout my school experience, I had that kind of commentary constantly, um, especially when I got diagnosed with the full set of, um, of, of neurodiversities. I had my autism, my dyslexia, my dyspraxia, and my ADHD. And I had teachers tell me, look, if you had one of those, we could make it work. But the whole combination, there's no way you're going to even graduate. And that was something they would tell me before even getting to know me or before even seeing my academic potential, there was just this idea of, okay, well, on the form here, you listed four neurodivergences, well, you're never gonna be able to overcome that. And I, it was something that really drove me. And it was something that I really wanted to prove those teachers wrong. Um, and I ended up doing so because I'm gonna, I'm going to go to Stanford in like two or three weeks, which I'm, uh, I actually sent a few emails to teachers who told me that I wouldn't go to university at all or teachers who told me that I wouldn't graduate from secondary school. And 
yeah, well, I proved them wrong because I'm going to university and I'm, I'm going to Stanford. And that's something that I think is important to try to do, to take your negative experiences and turn them into positives, to let your negative experiences drive you. Um, and I guess not to focus on them and not to kind of stay in the past and, and just constantly kind of dwell on the challenges that you had and the way people responded to them. And I know that that's something that's very easy to say, but it's something that is important to do because there was a time in my life where I was very much focused on all of the negative things that teachers said to me and I focused on how lots of different teachers were telling me this and how they were all they'd all you know were experienced in who gets to go to who goes to university because they'd seen so many students go through their classrooms and end up at university and so I felt like they know what they're doing and who am I a 14 year old kid to disagree with them and I think that if I had focused on that, I would have convinced myself that there was no point in trying to apply to university. But instead, I focused on proving them wrong. And I put a lot of energy into that because I wanted to, there to come a day where I could say to them, well, look at what I've accomplished. You were wrong. And in doing so, I could change their opinions on neurodivergent individuals so that they don't say that to anybody else. And that was another positive element to my neurodiversity celebration week, because I had a lot of teachers point out my challenges. Um, a lot of teachers um, focus on the negatives of being um, neurodivergent. Um, teachers telling me I couldn't do all sorts of things. Um, I was, I am dyspraxic, which means I have poor organizational skills. Yeah, I just had teachers be very critical. And it's interesting now because most of those teachers are now at schools which celebrate Neurodiversity Celebration Week. And I think that it's interesting that each week, each year, when that week passes around, there are teachers who said all these critical things to me and said I couldn't accomplish anything. And now they're celebrating a week that I created and ran. Um, all on my own. Sienna, props to you for overcoming all the obstacles. It really wasn't easy. Also, congratulations on getting into Stanford, a test that many people in your past didn't think was possible. Now, Sienna, final words of advice, tips, encouragement to neurodivergent or neurotypical individuals to start advocating as one community? Yeah, I mean, I think that from a neurodivergent perspective, it's very important to understand your unique strengths and challenges. Um, that's one of the really important things about being diagnosed. Right after I was diagnosed with dyslexia, I realized that I was wasting my time trying to practice spelling and I put that energy into something that would be more productive and something that I could actually um, and grow and learn from. Because when you just sit there doing your vocab flashcards and desperately trying to memorize words that you'll never really be able to spell right and focusing on that instead of focusing on your strengths. And it's something that's really 
important just to focus on, to identify your strengths and challenges, look at your challenges and see whether you even want to improve them because we live in a society and we have a school system that is very much focused on improving your weaknesses. And that's a model that I don't agree with. So I'm dyspraxic, I'm really bad at sport. If I had spent all of my time trying to be better at sport, you know, that's time that I could have spent doing something that would help me and benefit me, something that um, I would see improvement in. And it's the same with autism. People told me I needed to spend more time practicing my social skills. That's a weakness, but I would rather have just left. And so for my journey, once I was diagnosed, I started separating out what I wanted to improve on and what I wanted to develop and grow. And I chose to focus on my strengths. And so I spent a lot of time doing my math and my physics, which were strengths that came from my autism. And I spent a lot of time um, doing my neurodiversity celebration week, which was built off of a lot of the strengths that I had from my ADHD and my autism. Um, and, and also my dyslexia, because my dyslexia gives me creativity, which was something that was very helpful when I was setting up Neurodiversity Celebration Week and setting up QL Mentoring. And now all of those strengths that I've had are kind of turned into super strengths by constantly cultivating them and constantly working on them. And I've left the spelling. I have awful spelling. I work with Spellcheck. I work with Grammarly. It's not a problem. I've left the sport. I'm awful at sport, but I haven't played sport and whatever it is. I think it's been five years <laughs> since um, school required me to participate in sport. And it's something that hasn't affected my life. But what has, has been the time I've spent developing the positives from my neurodivergence. And it's definitely been something that's improved my mental health to be doing things that you enjoy and doing things that you're good at instead of working on challenges that can be very demoralizing when you don't see progress. From a neurotypical perspective, I think that it's really important to be supportive and to empower the neurodivergent individuals around you um, and to treat each neurodivergent person as an individual. Um, that's something that a lot of neurotypicals don't do. I've had a lot of teachers who have had another autistic individual in their class or another dyslexic individual in their class. And they've learned a lot about how that individual presents. And then they meet me and think that I'm going to present the same way when we're different individuals. You know, you one dyslexic might like a purple overlay when another one might want a yellow one. Or one autistic individual might want to be sitting away from the door because of their sensory processing disorder. Another may not mind because they don't have um, oversensitive hearing. It's the same with um, individuals with ADHD. Some use fidget toys, others don't. Um, some need to sit near the front of the class to help them pay attention and to help them engage with the teacher. Others are fine with sitting near the back like myself. And it's treating each individual differently and asking them what they need and the support they need and how you can um, improve their experience yeah this is all very actionable advice and I just think it's so awesome how 
you cultivated your strengths, made it a super strengths, and then just ran off with it. Thanks so much for your time and for your unique, insightful perspective. And I hope that you have a good year at Stanford and that we can reconnect in the future. No, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Sierra's message was truly inspirational. The key takeaways were to not let negative experiences discourage you and to not dwell in past challenges. Instead, focus on positive experiences and expand on strengths and make them super strengths. Let's be genuine, kind, supporting, and empowering to every individual in our community. May it be neurodivergent or neurotypical. What's your takeaway? In another's view, let's stand for neurodiversity. Signing out.